Back to Joel, uh, actually Yoel in Hebrew. Joel means Jehovah is God or Jehovah is his God. And uh, will be a pretty deep, um, rich section of scripture, I think. Um, but um, probably not as cheerful as um, people would hope. What Joel is doing is he's sounding alarm, sounding an alarm for us to let us know that Jehovah is God. He wants us to awaken. He wants us to wake up and know that Jehovah is his God and that Jehovah is God. And we go back to chapter 1, verse 5, where his first instruction is for us to awaken or awake, to wake up. And so don't, don't press that snooze button. Don't ignore that alarm. Listen, wake up. Let's jump into verses 1 and 2 here. It reads, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. And so Joel is sounding this alarm to awaken us of our spiritual condition, to ready ourselves for the day of the Lord which is coming. It is near. And we know that there will be these plagues, these plagues in our life, like the plague of locusts in chapter 1 last week. That these are warning signs to ready ourselves for the day of the Lord, which is coming. It is near. Judgment against sin is coming. And it's not so much these physical locusts that we are to be consumed by in our readiness. It is more of the spiritual locusts that are eating away at our hearts that we are to be much more concerned about. Jump down to verse 13. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Oftentimes people are so consumed with what is happening right around them physically that they lose the spiritual insight of what is happening to them in their hearts, to them spiritually. And this theme of locusts, it continues into chapter 2 as Joel metaphorically speaks about them. Let's read starting in verse 3. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale." Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his own way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. 
who can endure it? Metaphorically speaking of the locust here, but there's something that is much more seriously grave than the devastation of locusts before us. That beyond the warning sign of what is happening to us in the moment, physically, is a warning sign of that everlasting judgment that will be made upon our sin against the Lord. The Lord who has provided a Savior for us. You see, God wants to save us from our sin, but our sin, it numbs us. It numbs us to the things of God where, where we can't sense the difference of what is God and what isn't of God anymore. That, that sin, it, it, it clouds our judgment. It blurs our discernment. We, we lose our ability and stability in God. And we, and we lose that ability of sight of, to, of, to see how God sees things and sees us See, that, that sin, it's, it's mind-alterating. It, it's, it's, it's intoxicating. It's a downer. And, and it makes us sluggish. Proverbs has a lot to say about sluggards. Let's just take a look at one of them. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And like in Joel chapter 1, verse 5, it's this awakening to wake up. Now go back to Joel chapter 2, in verse 12, and it reads, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And he says, return to me with all your heart. It's interesting that the first thing he says there is with fasting. And then if you go back to Proverbs, again, talking about sluggards, this is something that is mentioned about sluggards who aren't even aware enough or awake enough to know that they are starving, that they lack nutrition, that they lack the ability to get healthy. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. See, we're, we're so caught up in our spiritual slumber sometimes, so consumed with the physical locusts that are right in front of us, that we lose sight of those spiritual locusts that are eating away at our hearts. And while we think we are so wise, that we have these answers of how we think things should be or how the world should be, listen to what Proverbs 26 has to say, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. 
The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And so Joel is blowing a trumpet in our ears. He's, he's sounding alarm to wake us up from being sluggards. Why? For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. This must have been such a difficult message for Joel to deliver at this time because if you can just imagine, these people have already gone through a lot. Locusts have destroyed everything. And on top of all the loss and all the suffering that these people have already endured, here comes Joel with this announcement, with this sounding of the alarm, an announcement of God's judgment. But this is a warning sign. This is an alarm. And Joel is wanting to share something deeper. That there is something more sinister lurking behind the physical locusts. And it's those spiritual locusts that will kill you. Because right now, even though you're suffering, you are alive. But those spiritual locusts will eat away at you and kill you. And so you could, have, you could imagine the people at this time just questioning Joel, questioning God during this time. Like, Joel, how can you and God just pile on more bad news on us? We, we've already suffered a lot. I mean, shouldn't this be a time of mercy? Shouldn't this be a time of you sharing with us encouraging news, good news? Joel is dealing with truth. And Joel is pointing out the condition of people's hearts. That, yeah, we did endure a lot. We, we've gone through a lot. There are a lot of these physical locusts that are just eating away at everything around us. And we are suffering. But something still hasn't happened. We're still full of pride. We still think that we're really, really wise. And we're really proud of ourselves, thinking that we know the difference between good and evil. And our hearts are not humble before God because we just keep on marching forward, thinking that we know what is best for the world. And so we're still out there rendering our garments because life is terrible. Things are going wrong. And so we're still tearing apart at our garments and showing our frustrations and our anger and everything like that. But we're still dealing with the physical locusts that are out there rather than rendering our heart. Tearing apart our heart. Ripping that apart. Exposing those spiritual locusts and dealing with them. See, the locusts, the physical locusts in front of us, they are signaling to us the return of the Lord. And many people are not looking at it that way. They're not looking at it as an opportunity, as an alarm for us to ready ourselves for the day of the Lord. Just busy out there tearing apart garments, rendering garments, fighting physical locusts, which are just the warning signs of the seriousness of what is coming in the judgment of God. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to question what we are really fighting against. We need to wake up, awake. We already know the locusts are everywhere. We see them everywhere. We're we're dealing with them today, aren't we? Physical locusts all over the place. All that is going on around us everywhere. And there's no let up. It just seems like it's one thing after another. If it's not a virus, it's politics. If it's not politics, it's policing. If it's not policing, it's racism. If it's not racism, it's wildfires. If not wildfires, it's hurricanes. It's just whatever's up next. It's just more, more, more. Are any of those warning signs going to lead us to rendering our hearts? Or are we just going to keep rendering our garments in frustration and anger? Are we going to keep rendering the physical and not address the spiritual and ignore the spiritual condition of our hearts? And Because those warning signs are pointing to something deeper. Joel is bringing us back to the plagues in Moses' day. And if you can see this, that he's already gotten very serious because he's skipped over the first seven plagues. He goes straight into the eighth. Right? In, in, in Exodus 10, it's the eighth plague is the plague of locusts. And then the ninth plague is this plague of darkness, which in Joel chapter 2 verse 2, it mentions this, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. He's, he's drawing a picture here for us about the plagues. And then comes this tenth plague, the plague of death. That is what he's trying to warn us about, that the day of the Lord is coming. It's near. You see, the same pride the Egyptians had that brought those plagues upon them was the exact same thing happening to the people in Joel's day. And in Joel's day, is that perhaps happening to us today? And that our own pride, our own supposed wisdom, has blinded us to the day of the Lord. That it is coming. It is near. And we have a lot of warning signs in front of us. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Have we not experienced locusts in 2020? Have we not experienced darkness? Figuratively, metaphorically, yes, but even physically. I mean, didn't we go through a month of Smoky darkness? Haven't we experienced the death of too many people? 
You see, we, we've been given so much. God has blessed us so tremendously here in the Bay Area, here in our country. Just like the people in Joel's day. In verse 3, it tells us that it was like the Garden of Eden there. They were blessed tremendously. Then came these locusts and everything is wiped out. Fires just devoured them. It is said by those who study locusts that when locusts ravaged the land, it sounds like the crackling of fire. And what was once lush, like the Garden of Eden, after they go through it, it's, it's desolate as described in verse 3. And that destruction, it's, it's relentless. The suffering doesn't seem to end. And, and nowhere seems to be exempt from this onslaught. Nowhere safe. And it's this picture of national destruction. It's this picture of a personal destruction. Will we remain full of pride? Or will we humble ourselves? We need to humble our hearts. Be like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64, where he confesses in verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. But we've become so prideful. We've become so wise in our own eyes. And that we think what is good. That we think we know that that is good. And we think that we know what is not good. Psalm 14 verses 1 through 3. It reads this. The fool says in his heart. There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Are we ready for the day of the Lord? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, the prophet writes this, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? Very true statement. And yet the prophet Joel gives this promise. He gives us this hope in verse 12. Take a look at this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, with all that turmoil, all that suffering, all those different locusts happening, yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Rend our hearts, 
Such a difficult, tough message to preach in a time when people are already fed up with what's going on in our nation, what's going on in their personal lives. There's this temptation to look for a different message. To look for a different path, a different option. There's this internal fight of pride to not render our hearts, but to rather render our garments. Because really, that's easier. It's easier to do that. And to look for another option, a a better option, would, would seem to be easier. But the thing is, is there isn't another option. There isn't a better option. Our only option is to render our heart. And Joel really understands that this is a very difficult thing to do. He understands many people don't want to do this. Especially when they've suffered already. Especially when they've seen the onslaught of locusts in their life. And they see all this stuff happening around them with pain and suffering. And all these things. But yet he sounds the alarm. And it's why he sounds the alarm. Because he's hoping that that alarm, that trumpet, breaks through the spiritual slumber that we are in. That it breaks through the sluggardness of people. And it brings them to repentance and restoration with God. Do you need to repent today? And for some of you, this is a very difficult message for you to receive right now because all you see are these locusts, these physical locusts all around, and you don't understand why are you even asking me about repentance when we have all this stuff happening all around us. Because you need God's grace. You need His grace in your heart. Imagine the people who, have, who must have been so angry at Joel preaching this message in the middle of their tragedy, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their suffering. But yet some did render their hearts while others were fighting it. They couldn't believe that Joel was saying something like this at a time like this. But yet some did respond to Joel sounding this alarm and they did turn their hearts to God. Yet even now, in the middle of all the turmoil our nation is going through, yet even now, return to me with all your heart. It's the first step. Not to go do something out there and rendering your garments in anger and frustration. It's to return to me with all your heart. And so often we want to have this checklist of things for us to do to make things right. But all that needs to be done is to put our life in the hands of God to surrender. Return to me with all your heart. To repent. To surrender with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You see, there's nothing for you to do for someone else right now before you get this relationship with God right between you and Him. Because right now, at this very moment, it's between you and God. It's between you and God. Return With all your heart. Fast. You don't fast for somebody else. You're fasting between you and God. You're weeping between you and God. You're mourning between you and God. It's just between you and God. And then you render your heart and not your garments. It's all about you. It's not about your stuff. Not the stuff outside of your being. Tear away at your heart all that is false. 
Rip out from your heart all that is untrue and allow God's word to center you. Repent and be restored to God. And not in a previous prideful way where you think you know all the answers, but in true humility. And you notice how verse 14 is phrased. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. This is a posture of humility. It's similar to the captain and the, those sailing with Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, when, the, when he said, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. See, it, it's a, a real heart of humility, a, a real rendering of pride from our heart. And from this sincere heart of humility, we lift that before the Lord. And then, and then we can get assurance. If you skip down to verse 32 in Joel chapter 2, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These plagues that we read about, they recur in the Bible. If you look into Matthew, you'll read that there was a plague of darkness and then the death of Jesus, Matthew 27. Verse 45, it reads this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And then in verse 50, Jesus, the only begotten son of God, died. And he was victorious over darkness. He's victorious over death so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see these recurring themes of plagues coming through and that Jesus... God who gives us opportunity for repentance and restoration is there. But there's an urgency in this opportunity because like Joel is saying, the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Let's read starting in verse 15 in Joel chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Do you sense the urgency here? Get everybody, no matter what stage of life they're in, grab them. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? See, God hopes for all to come to repentance, all to come to restoration. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this starting in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Joel is pleading with us with urgency to return to the Lord, for the day is coming. And yes, God is patient. God is long-suffering. It has been over 2,000 years since Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. It just won't be forever. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You will not know when. We will not know when. And our opportunity is now. We have all these warning signs all around us. We have a trumpet coming from Joel telling us to be ready, to rend our hearts, to wake up, that our time is short, and that we are to rend what is irreplaceable, that is our heart, to get our heart right with God. Don't get busy rendering garments. Rend our hearts. Please take this word seriously this morning. And the reason why I say this is because if you cannot take this word seriously, then maybe that is an indication that the locusts have already done their damage to your heart. That is not a good place to be. It's a very solemn word. And it isn't one where it leaves us cheerful. But I hope that it does leave us hopeful. Because in this truth, we, we have seen destruction all around us. We have seen darkness. We've seen suffering. We've seen pain all around us today. And none of this is something to be cheerful about. All the things that our country, that our city, that, that we've dealt with in this last six months. And yet we know where we need to go for grace. We know where we need to go for mercy. That God is our hope. That we've seen locusts eating away at us at every turn, every moment. Just an onslaught. It just keeps going. The alarm, the trumpet, is sounding for us to return to the Lord. To rend our hearts, not our garments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word this morning is serious. It is solemn. And I pray, Lord, that People do indeed rend their hearts. That they do indeed return to you with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Because as they tear apart their heart to expose it as it really is, that we need to humble ourselves and repent to show what does not belong there to show where we think we've been wise and where we've been good and yet been so far from you. So we ask, Lord, for that ability to rend our hearts, to be able to spot out the spiritual locus within there. 
Lord, please ready your church for your return. We know that it is near. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can take out your communion elements now, and let's start with the cracker, the bread, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. Restoration. Showing that he has overcome darkness. He has overcome death. Whatever plague comes through, Jesus has overcome it. We take this remembering his victory. Remembering his promise that he is coming. Let's take this. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilt for us. We take this in remembrance of his promise that he is coming. He is returning for us. And as the prophet Joel has shared with us, it is near. We don't know when, but it is closer today than it was yesterday. We need to rend our hearts. Return to the Lord. We take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sacrament that continually and consistently reminds us of your love for us, that you had this divine plan to rescue us, Lord, be our Savior, to save us from our own sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.